I want us to turn in our Bibles to the book of uh, Romans. We uh, are going to continue along what we started last week, which is coming from the idea that um, God desires something from his people. The word sacrifice means a lot of things to a lot of people, and a lot of times it's misinterpreted. There's a lot of people that don't know what it means or what God's after. If you were here with us last Sunday, we talked about this, and I believe this is vital before we go any further, is to know this, that there is no more sacrifice for sin. Jesus has paid it all. So there's somewhere in your brain that says, I got to do this to make up for what I've done wrong. Or I, I've got to do this because I got to pay him back. You could never pay him back. My dad used to tell, uh, I remember, I, actually I think he only told it once. But I remember being in Loon Lake when my dad told this, used this analogy and it stuck with me. Used the analogy of, of uh, somebody getting, you know, a, a wildly expensive car, whether it was a Lamborghini or a Bentley. I don't remember what it was. But he said, you know, if somebody gave you that car and said, I want you to have this. It's far beyond anything you could afford. It's far beyond anything you'd buy for yourself. But I want you to have this multiple hundreds of thousands of dollar car. I want you to have it. I want you to just keep it. And you said, well, wow, that's a huge gift. But I don't want to take this from you. I mean, I don't want to take such a large gift from you. So you reach in your pocket. You pull out a, a nickel. And you put it in their hand and say, no, there, we're even now. We're square. You as the giver would be extremely insulted, wouldn't you? Because it's just ludicrous to say we're even. Even if you'd given them, you know, $5,000, even if you'd given them all of your life savings, for most of us, our life savings might not come close to the price of whatever they were giving us. For us to pull out a nickel and say we're square, we're even, I've paid you back, is insulting. We, we know that the spirit of grace, that God is insulted. Not, I shouldn't say insulted, but it is insulting. It's insulting when we believe we can somehow pay God back for the great sacrifice. There's only one that could pay that debt, and that was Jesus Christ. He did it. The book of Hebrews says that one sacrifice, Jesus was the one sacrifice made for all, all of us and all time, once for all, he made that sacrifice. He says he doesn't have to do it year by year. He's never going to have to do it again. And you are not going to have to do it. So then, many times and many Christians, when they hear the word sacrifice, that's all they're thinking of. Or they're thinking somehow that God takes pleasure and uh, something that causes us a little pain or something, like he's sort of a sadistic God. But that's not true either. So what's the point of sacrifice in a New Testament church? If we're not trying to pay for a sin, if we're not trying to get right with God, what is the point of sacrifice? Does it have a place in our life? And I would tell you it does, because all throughout the New Testament, we're told that there are sacrifices from his people, New Testament believers washed by the blood of Jesus, this side of the cross, that have something to offer God that he finds acceptable, that he finds pleasing. In fact, this is part of our life. You probably know where I'm going in the book of Romans because this is uh, one of those Christian verses, one of those keystone verses that we always go back to. 
I think it's important that we read it and understand the context we're reading it in. There's a lot of uh, refrigerator magnet verses, bookmark verses, that are good to know from that perspective. But I think it's probably important for you to see this verse in the light of um, the larger context, which is the great mercy of God. Throughout Romans, especially as we come up to Romans 12, there is a great emphasis put on God showing mercy despite our um, total unworthiness of that mercy. Then he says, chapter 12 starts with the word, therefore. Which is telling you that everything that came before, everything that he said before this is important for you to understand why why God is looking for this from you. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. We, he's been talking about the great mercy of God. He's been talking about the uh, unfathomable mercy of God, that, that God was so big and so great that he showed mercy beyond what we deserved, beyond what we could even imagine to the whole world. But we've received that mercy because we've received him. He says, in light of the mercies of God, I urge you, I plead with you. What's interesting is that the language he uses here is not the command. There are other places where he uses the word command. But here, he's pleading with you. He's urging you. And the reason for this is because this has to be an act of your will. God does not want your robotic Uh, somehow coming to him and doing it because if you don't, you feel you're going to get in trouble. God wants your heart. He wants your love. He wants your life. He wants it willingly. God loves a cheerful giver. So he's urging you. He's pleading with you by the mercies of God. So everything that's going to come after is rooted in the mercy of God. Every fruit that comes out of that branch, everything that comes out of that tree is going to be rooted in the mercy of God. By the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and a holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, bodies is important, and I, and I know sometimes we just gloss over this, but you know, in the next verse, he's going to talk about your mind. He's already talked about your spirit. Right here, he's talking about our bodies. And, and, and somehow, it just doesn't seem church-like to talk about our bodies. We, we've gotten to the point where we sometimes think because, because the culture that we live in puts so much emphasis on the, on the flesh and on the body, we think when we come to church, we don't even want to talk about that. It's all spiritual. But if you haven't figured it out, your spiritual life is connected to your mental life. Your mental life and your spiritual life are connected to your physical life. You can't say, I love Jesus in my heart and yet do something totally different with your body. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work. You're all connected. So many times we'll use that, right? Well, God knows my heart. Absolutely, he does. But, you know, if we're around each other long enough, your heart will become evidence through your actions, through what you do. And God is after not just your heart, not just your mind, but your bodies. He died to pay for those bodies. There'll be a resurrection where we receive new bodies. But he still died for this one. And I know you might say, well, I don't know why he wants mine. I mean, mine's not the best. <laughs> you remember when he said that he didn't want the, the lame or the blind animals? I don't know why he'd want mine. Well, the first thing is you're not supposed to be the perfect sacrifice for sin. 
Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. So this is not an atoning sacrifice. We have to just be perfect. God's not asking for perfection. He's asking for you. And here's the other point is that so, so many times we look at perfection and we've been trained by our culture to look and say, what makes my body great is how it looks or what makes my body unacceptable is how it looks. But when Jesus was sacrificed on the cross, the scripture says he was unrecognizable. That people who loved him couldn't even look at him because he'd been beaten and bloodied so bad, disfigured so bad that you wouldn't even want to look at him. And yet the scripture says he was a pleasing sacrifice to God. When we present our bodies to God, we're not talking about, you know, this, this, this work of art that we've sculpted or this work of abstract art that we've somehow puddled into. He's talking about what you do with your body. What made Jesus acceptable to God was not how his body looked, but what his body was doing. What his body was doing was carrying himself to the cross for you. What his body was doing was saying, I'm willing to endure this for the sake of those who I've called to myself. This is why your body matters. He says this, present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice. So the sacrifice is in the living. You know, many, many times, I know I've, I've talked to you about this before, you've, you've laughed because silly little Jonathan was such a weird little kid. I mean, and, and many church kids are like this. The church kids, you all know the ones that have their own copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. They're going to be a little weird. You know that, right? <laughs> they're they're going to be a little off. I was that kid. <laughs> I was that kid. But, you know, we always pray that prayer, God, I'll die for you, but make it quick. You know? I'll lose my head, just let the blade be sharp, you know, things like that. It's a lot easier. We, we say that to, you know, you say that to the person you love, baby, I'll die for you. Baby, I'll take a bullet for you. Mm. I would do anything for you, honey, you know, if it was between me or you, I'd, I'd, I'd save your life. Right. But that's easy, isn't it? Anybody says that? Come on. Everybody says that. Of course I'd give my life for you, honey. And if, the, if it came down to it, you probably would. But it's the laying your life down every day that's the trick. That's where it gets rough. That's where it gets a little harder. We all say, yeah, with Jesus, we die for you. What he's asking for you today is that you live for him, that your body would be a living, a lively sacrifice. The old saying that uh, probably every preacher I've ever heard teach on this verse has said at one point is the trouble with living sacrifices, they keep trying to crawl off the altar, right? They, treat, they keep, you have to keep putting them back. And it says, present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Holy meaning set apart, different. If we were to go back to Romans 6, he talks about the fact that you are to present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your instruments of your body, which means your hands, your feet, your mouth, every part of you. The instruments of your body is instruments, the members of your body is instruments of righteousness. 
When you consider God wants me and he wants these body parts that once were used for evil to be used for him. It changes the way you approach everything. You know, the Gnostics back in the early church age that so many of the New Testament books are referencing when they're, when they're talking about uh, the heresy of believing that Jesus didn't come in the flesh or, or that, uh, you know, that, that it didn't matter what you did with your body as long as your spirit was clean. They taught that your spirit and your body were always separate, your spirit was always going to be holy, and your body was always going to be bad. So the thought was, what you did with your body is not as big of a deal because God knows your flesh is always going to be bad. But God doesn't make that distinction. He doesn't say, well, this is what you did with your spirit, this is what you did with your body. We are one. Just as he is one, just as, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, so our mind, so our soul, our body, and our spirit are one. And here he's saying, let your body be a living and a holy sacrifice. Something is set apart for him. Acceptable to God. Now, here's the great thing. The acceptable to God part is the tricky part because so many of us say, there's nothing about me that should be acceptable to God. There's nothing about me that I think he wants. And I I just want you to, first of all, get that out of your head because as we know, the value of something is determined by how much somebody was willing to pay for it. Jesus was willing to pay his life for yours. So that's your value. And no matter what else anyone else says about you, no matter what you think about yourself, you've got to get off your pedestal and say, I don't know more than him. He has set my value and said, I'm worth his life. So who am I to say something different? You know, Jesus said, what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world yet lost his soul? What does he tell you? A soul is worth more than the whole world. So we matter. Why am I acceptable to God? Well, it says in 1 Peter that we are acceptable to God through Christ. In the Old Testament, people would bring their sacrifices. And even their sacrifices, the Bible says, would be tainted with sin because they touched the people. And as hard as we try, we just kept messing up. So the, the scripture says that the, the, the high priest would wear a miter that said, holy to the Lord. He'd wear this, this piece of jewelry, I guess you could call it, that said, holy to the Lord. And because of this, this was an, a symbol of what Jesus would do. And because of this, the tainted and flawed sacrifices of the people would be made acceptable to God. In the New Testament, it says we, our sacrifices, are acceptable to God. It it doesn't just say acceptable. It says made acceptable through Jesus Christ. You guys all know when we try to do things for the Lord, nobody does it perfect. I mean, some people are so restrained and paralyzed by their own fear that they don't do things that God's called them to do. They don't step out because they're afraid if I do, I might do it wrong. But you got to know none of us did it perfect. None of us have anything to offer God that's going to be without a little bit of a blemish here and there. But it is made acceptable. It is made acceptable. It is turned into something that God likes because of Jesus Christ. It's through him. He's the filter. 
So when we get up and we start playing a song and the silly little iPad makes a mistake and during a slow worship song, all of a sudden, the, the, because our drummer is gone, all of a sudden the drum beat goes to double time. I'm just making up a, a hypothetical here. You might say, well, we messed up that sacrifice. We messed up. That song was for Jesus. Now we messed it up. But come on, you take the finest choir on the planet and put them next to the angels, and we would sound flawed. But it's made acceptable. It's made acceptable through Jesus Christ. Something's changed. It's made perfect which is your spiritual service of worship. Service comes from a word for work. Now, many of us have been so trained in our modern culture that worship is a response to our feeling. I went to that one church, and they really didn't have my style of worship. It didn't get me going. It didn't, you know, I sat there. It didn't do it for me. My goodness you'd think you'd be, you were the one we were trying to worship here. <laughs> we should just fill out a card at the front. What's your style? Uh, I like dancing music. Okay, dancing music. What's your style? Country gospel, country gospel. And we'll just do 32 songs and everybody will be fine. And everybody will be ministered to. But the point isn't to minister to us. The point is to minister to Jesus. To minister to God. And in ministering to God, we inevitably are ministered to. I've been in churches where the music was just so below any standard. And yet the heart of the people worshiping was so true that I had no trouble getting into it. Because it wasn't about me, it was about him. We should all be able to do that. Worship involves service. It involves work. I know sometimes we say, well, that, that can't be right. I thought we lived in the age where it's, it's faith, not works. It's faith, not works that saved you, but faith produces works. Right. Worship is work. It should be. That's not hard. It's not always hard. It's not, it's not bad. It's good. But let me tell you, let me, let's, just, let's just acknowledge that the things that we come cheaply by, the things that came to us cheaply and, and we treat cheaply have little to no value to us. Even you look around and, and I know I'm going to sound old when I say that. I'm not old, but I, I know. I'm not old. I know that. But I might sound old when I say this, but this generation has had a lot of things handed to them. And I'm not against giving something to someone. The Bible says a good man leaves an inheritance for his children. But when everything comes cheaply, you don't value it. So surveys have shown over and over, more and more, that we are less happy. Every generation, we have been decreasing in happiness, self-fulfillment, satisfaction. Why? Because we don't value or or, are not grateful for what we do have. So we make snarky remarks about those guys that fought in World World War I. They weren't fighting for anything. What a dumb war. Yeah. Put yourself in their shoes. Understand what they put their lives on the line for. When you treat it cheaply, it has no value to you. It loses its value. You know, I I look in the book of Romans and I see one of the responses 
One of, the, one of the causes of a culture going downhill is that we cease giving thanks. Worship comes out of a heart of gratitude to God. What did, what did this whole verse start with? In light of the mercies of God. We're responding to the mercy of God. We're responding to the goodness of God. But how are we responding with something? And I'm not responding saying, well, I owe you everything. I'm going to try to pay you back. Because that changes the relationship. As I said last week, there's a different relationship. If somebody said, you owe me $10,000, every time I see them, I'm going to feel guilty. I'm going to feel ashamed that I can't pay all of that back. But if somebody paid my $10,000 debt and said, I just wanted to bless you every time I see them, I'm going to feel grateful. When we approach God in, in an attitude of debt, you might say, well, I do owe him everything. Yes, but if you think that your life is going to be a life of paying back what you owe, you will always fall short and you will feel that same sense of shame that Adam and Eve felt when they fell short. Instead saying, it's been paid. From a position of someone who has been bought, paid for, and set free, what do I have to offer you, king? And the more he's worth to us, the more you want to give. And the more you give, the more he becomes worth something to you. It's not because we're trying to buy something or earn something, because you couldn't comes in light of the mercy of God. He's asking for sacrifice from his people, and here's why. Because without sacrifice, there's no value. Without sacrifice, there's no real love. Think about, think about what you do for people on their birthday or Christmas. I don't know if you have a tradition of giving gifts on Christmas. Some people do, some people don't. I don't know what you do on birthdays. But when you want to bless somebody, you do something for them, you give them something, Right? I mean, what would happen if my wife's birthday came along and I just gave her a bag full of the coupons we got in the mail? I said, honey, there's a $150 value here. And uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want you to, I don't, wanna, I don't want you to feel like you have to get me a $150 present, but just know, daddy takes care of you. And does uh, <laughs> she never calls me that, please don't. <laughs> Don't, don't think that. I cut them out by hand. I stuck them in an envelope because I love you, honey. Didn't mean much to me. There's not a lot of love there. I mean, she still loves me, but there's not a lot of value there when I'm just, it, it didn't cost me anything. There's a famous story in the Bible where King David came upon a man who, uh, well, a man came to him and said, you need to build an altar to God. You need to offer a sacrifice. He said, yes, I do. So the next piece of land they came across was owned by a man who had a threshing floor. And David said, I, I want to buy that land from you so I can make an altar and, and offer something to God. And the man said, you're King David. <laughs> I'll give you it. It's free. Here, take it. King David said, I insist that I pay for it because I will not offer to God something that costs me nothing. Because if it costs me nothing, my heart's not there. We all know Malachi 3 because it is one of the most comprehensive sections of Scripture on the importance and the blessing on tithing. But it would do you well to read the whole book 
and see where the Israelites were at. It's not just that they stopped tithing, it's that what they did give lacked honor. God addresses them and says, you're bringing me your, your lame animals, your sick animals, your blind animals. Would you give that to your governors? Would you give that to your rulers? Am I not a great king? He says, you've dishonored me. Now, here's the deal. When they bring a sacrifice, they put it on the altar. It dies. It gets burned up. The priest would eat certain things from it, but most of it would just be burnt up. We understand that God does not eat animals, right? You know that. You know that God's not like out in the woods by the Davidson's ranch picking off deer. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't eat. So those sacrifices, we're not feeding God, right? We're not the old pagans that, that thought that God was being fed by sacrifices. He's not... He doesn't gain anything from the actual animal. But what he gained was the heart of the people. Not only that, but their sacrifices were a symbol. And blood was shed just as Jesus' blood would be shed. Without the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. But why did it matter? A, A blind animal has just as much blood as an animal that can see. A lame, crippled animal burns just as well as an able-bodied animal. What does it matter, God? If I keep my best, I'll breed better animals. If I keep my best, I'll get a better return and I'll be able to give you more. But God says, why are you giving me this? Just understand that it, it didn't make a difference to God. It wasn't that God said, I don't like blind animals, I don't like lame animals. It said it mattered to the people differently. It was worth less to them. That's why God was insulted by this. That's why God said it showed dishonor. Not because of, I mean, I, come on, guys. Today, you go for lunch. You have a burger. You don't say, was this burger, was this animal nearsighted? Something tastes off. <laughs> I'm tasting, I'm detecting a limp. It was a limp. <laughs> No, some of, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe a, a crippled cow tastes better, fatter, I don't know. What mattered was, no, Kelly says no. <laughs> Myth busted. <laughs> I just thought maybe you stuck it in the ground, massaged it, and fed it butter, I don't know. <laughs> what mattered was, it was worth less to the people. And when you offer something to God that's worth less to you, you're saying, you're worth less to me. And when you're worth less to me, I lose value. And when I lose value, I lose love. Love diminishes because I don't place the value on you that you deserve. So my heart says, other things are more valuable than you. My ruler on this earth is more valuable than you. My livestock, my reputation, my income, my family is worth more than you. And when you give more value to something above God, you've just created an idol. No matter what it is. God was not offended because he didn't like crippled animals. He was offended because their hearts said, you're worth less. It's interesting We always start with Malachi 3, we always start with the Shalaman Rob God. But that's not how the whole thing starts. It starts with the people saying, it starts with God saying, you've departed from me. You've grown distant. And the people respond, 
how shall we return? He says, would a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. One of the ways he's telling them to return is in their sacrifices. What does he say? Return to me and I will return to you. When we honor God as the king, honor him as father, honor him as the source of the mercy that we live on. Listen, that lady that broke the alabaster vial and put it all over his feet, the scripture said, Jesus said, she is aware she's been forgiven much. She's been shown much mercy, so she loves much. That woman didn't think for a second that her perfume was paying for her sin. But she was so grateful, so full of awareness of the mercy of God that she could not but pour out something that cost her more than anything else. It was worth more. You know, I think it's interesting. Chapter 12 goes on and talks about how we relate to one another how we show mercy to one another, how we love one another. And that is part of our worship. But it starts with what we're offering to God. I think it's important that we know that God has created us to be merciful people, to show mercy, to show love, to show goodness. And the scripture will not neglect that. It goes on and talks about that. But first and foremost, we have to get the vertical right before the horizontal makes any sense. Right? See, the people in the room, when that, that lady broke that perfume that was worth maybe a year's wage. She broke it and she just spread it on Jesus' feet. What did the people at the table say? Well, Judas, because he's, he's taking the money from the treasury box, but he says that could have been used to feed the poor. That sounds like a noble thought. That sounds like something we would say, right? Why are you wasting on this? Why are you wasting this on somebody's feet? We could, be wa- we could be using this to do work for the kingdom. The first and foremost thing in our life, listen, we should not neglect uh, the poor. We should not neglect the good works because in doing so, we are worshiping God, right? We're giving to the Lord. We're ministering to the Lord. He says, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. That is worshiping to God. But we have to understand that before the horizontal can come in, the vertical has to be in place. We have to be saying, I'm doing this for you. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Sacrifice should cost us something. Not because God is sadistic. Not because God wants you to pay back a debt you can't pay back, but because God wants you. And when it costs you something, you love it, right? When you give a kid something that was valuable to you, but they have no sense of value for it, how do they treat it? Not well, right? I had stuff that, like, we had tools. It seemed like every tool I ever used, Dad said, that was my great-grandfather's. And I had a penchant for breaking these tools. And I'd only find out that they were, like, family heirlooms after I broke them. <laughs> I was rough on stuff. I'm still rough on stuff. I'd be using his tools and, and, and oh, Dad, I broke the screwdriver. Oh, yeah, my, uh, that's been around our family since the Civil War. What? You know? <laughs> I mean, like, maybe not that far, but I mean, when you just get something and you don't know its value, you treat it cheap. When it costs us something, we love it. 
or we understand how much it costs, when we understand how much our lives cost Jesus, there's value on us, and there's value on his sacrifice. He says this, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So he starts out with your body, and then he moves to your mind. If we were to move on, he talks about us fitting into the body, and it's, it's very important. But I just want to focus on this small section here. Why does God want sacrifice from us? It's not for atonement. It's not for repayment of a debt. It's because God wants you. And I think you should ask yourself this. What has this cost me? What have I put on the table? What have I put on the line? If we're not careful, we'll address that question in a legalistic manner. And we'll be forced to just face the fact that we can never pay it back. Or usually when you, when you approach it legalistically, everybody else is doing a little bit less than you. You're the standard and whoever's beneath you is falling short. But when we approach it as a response to the mercy of God, Maybe the reason I'm not in love anymore is because I haven't put anything out there. Maybe the reason I don't feel what I used to feel, and I'm not led by feelings, but maybe the reason I don't feel what I used to feel is because I just show up and consume rather than offering something to God. So easy to come now and consume. Say, I hope the preacher preaches something that uh, is a little bit more entertaining than his last one. <laughs> I was rough. Hope he tells some jokes. Hope the band plays something a little bit more peppy. What are we doing? We're just consuming. But when I say, God, I have something to offer you. And I know I look around and other people seemingly have more, but this is what I have. I've come to offer you worship. <laughs> and he says, well, dance before me. And you go, no, I don't do that. There's a couple of people in church to do that, but I don't do that. Lift your hands. <laughs> I'm not going to lift my hands. No. I don't feel like that. And, and we've really personalized worship now. We say, we all worship in our own ways. Well, we do. But you read the Psalms, and there's times where he says, everyone clap your hands. <laughs> lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Dance before the Lord. And people weren't like, well, that's not me. I'm not a dancer. I'm more of a meditative, I'm dancing on the inside. <laughs> I get it, but he wants your body. You, you know, I mean, come on, I don't dance like everybody else dances. And you don't have to dance like anybody else dances. Maybe dancing for you, maybe dancing for the Lord for you is just doing the, the little shuffle, you know? Maybe that's the thing you're doing, fine. Do you think King David danced before the Lord with all his might in the Middle Eastern heat because he just wanted people to know he had the moves. <laughs> or because the song was just that good. Man, this beat's got me moving. I don't know what's wrong with you guys. I just can't stop praising his name. I just can't. Like, what was the deal there? He did it, and he did it with a linen ephod on. A lot of people say, well, he, he danced in his underwear. Well... <laughs> A linen ephod 
was a simple garment that the priests would wear. When Samuel was a little boy and his mom brought him to the temple and said, serve the Lord. You're dedicated to the Lord. You serve the Lord. Every year she'd bring him a new linen ephod that he'd wear. David took off his kingly robes, which said, look at me. I'm worth something. I have value. This is who I am. And he put on a linen ephod, which says, I'm here as a priest today to minister to you. And he did not dance because the beat was so infectious. He didn't dance because he wanted to show all the daughters of Israel that he had game. He danced because he considered the king of glory worth it. And I want that heart. I want that heart. And we say when the Spirit of the Lord, the old song says, when the Spirit of the Lord moves in my heart, I will dance as David danced. It's a great song. I love that song. But sometimes we use that as an excuse, like the Holy Spirit's going to knock us into a trance and we can't help but dance. It was an act of the will. I'm not saying every one of you has to go and do somersaults in church. I'm just saying this. Church is just a small microcosm. Really, we're not talking about Sunday mornings here today. We're talking about your life. But I tell you, start, start with something like this. If you're uncomfortable lifting your hands, do it. It cost you something, didn't it? It cost you that feeling of dignity that you brought. It cost you that feeling of, well, this isn't me. Okay, do it for him. I'm married. We do stuff that's not me. It's not me to go to Fabricland. Not me. <laughs> now, I don't always go, but when she wants to go and I'm in the car, I don't say, no, honey. We only do things that I like. Because <laughs> that's not a marriage that's going to last two years, let alone 50. Lord, what do you want? And maybe it's a good question. If, so, if I value something, what does it cost me? What am I putting out there? What am I doing with my life that cost me something? Not because God is sadistic. He just wants to see you hurt a little bit. He doesn't want to see you hurt. He loves you. But what does it cost me because it's worth something to me? And when I, sp- when I spend my life, my energy, my time, look, that woman who brought that little, little bit of money, and the Bible says it was so, I mean, it was such a small amount that nobody thought it was any, anything worth anything, not a big deal. But Jesus and his disciples see it. And Jesus says, that woman gave more than everybody else because she gave all that she had to live on and everybody else gave what they had left over. It shows us that God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about what it mattered to you. And all these people brought what was their surplus. Listen, if we were to be honest, and I've said this before, if we were to be honest, we just call that good financial management. Give what you have left over. That's what they'll teach you. If you hire somebody to help you with your budget, they will tell you. Charity, and they'll call giving to the Lord no matter what it looks like, whether it's giving some money to a person or giving some money to a church or missions or whatever, they'll call that charity. Charity comes out of the extra. But Jesus said, this lady gave something out of what she had to live on. Now look, 2016, Money is cheaper to us than our time for most of us, many of us. I'm not saying we're just like money's not important, but our time seems to be one of our most valuable things. It costs me something to show up tomorrow for a prayer service. It costs me something to make time in my schedule to 
talk to you about what's going on in your life. It costs me something. But when I'm willing to put something out there that costs me something, that love becomes richer. And I say, I value this, and I value you. God doesn't want sacrifice because he needs it. He's infinite. Can we just settle that? God is infinite. There's not one thing he needs. You can, you can talk to any of our leadership, any of our staff members, and they'll tell you there's never been a point in all the time that they've known me where I've ever made a decision, and, and I'm just telling you this because this is our value as a church, where we've ever made a decision based on what kind of offerings would come in or how much, how much money people would give. We've never made a decision based on that. In fact, I don't go back there and look at what people are giving because I don't want to know that. Somebody else can worry about that. I get to treat you the same across the board, right? But it's important to me that we never make a decision based on how much offerings are going to come in. You know why? Because God will take care of his own people. God wants us to go do something, he'll do it. Truth is, he wants to use us to get it done. So we give. But God is infinite. He doesn't need your money. He wants you. He wants to use you to supply other people's needs. He wants to use you to send missionaries across the world. He wants to use you to feed the poor right here in Lloyd Minster. Absolutely. But if you stay home, he'll get it done. But more than anything, he wants your heart. So we return to him by bringing something with us. The book of Psalms says, come into his presence. Sing a new song. Bring an offering. Because in that, we show our, his worth, his value. We think about offerings as that thing we put in the envelope. But all throughout your week, you're giving offerings to God. The sacrifice he's talking about here is not just something out of your pocket. It's, it's even more valuable. It's your life. How many of you have been walking down the street? My, my wife and I just took, took the weekend and, and went to Edmonton because we knew that today would be a busy day. So we celebrated our anniversary in Edmonton. We stayed on White Ave. And White Ave at night is totally different than White Ave during the day. Right? <laughs> Fortunately, we had a room on the other side that was not facing White Ave so we could sleep at night. The hotel provided free earplugs. Isn't that great? But when we were walking down the street late at night, how many people are asking, hey, can you spare some money? Hey, can you do this? And for many people, it's way easier to reach in their, their, their pocket, throw them some change, and just keep walking without even acknowledging humanity. What costs us something is not just the money. It's turning aside and looking at that person and saying, you're worth enough to me to make eye contact and have a conversation with you. Yeah, I'll put some money in there, but you're worth my time. You're worth my attention. Sometimes money is the cheapest thing we've got. What are we willing to give to God? And I'm telling you, the reason God wants something from you is not because he needs something. He has no need. He's infinite. The reason he wants something from you is because he wants your heart. And where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Where your time is, that's where your heart will be. Where your energy is, that's where your heart will be. Where your attention is, that's where your heart will be. If our phones have our attention more than God has our attention, that's where our heart is. If entertainment has our time more than God has our time, that's where our heart is. If other things have our affection more than God has our affection, that's where our heart is. But God wants you. And let, let me just end with this thought. 
God came and settled on sacrifice. He, his presence was felt where there was a sacrifice. He consumed the sacrifice, but he was amongst the people in these times. I encourage you to give it your body, your life, your time, your energy. Everything is a sacrifice to God because those things that you've offered to God, he's now a part of those things. When you keep God in the surplus, on the extra, on the, you know, I give God my extra, then you let God into the extra of your life. But if you give God what you have to live, you give him your life, you give him the core of who you are, that's where he is. Don't you know the things that God's a part of, the things that you entrust to God, the things that God is, is, is possessing of, the things that you've given to him, those are the things that are blessed. So when they gave the best of their flock, the flock was blessed. When they gave the land rest every seven years, the land prospered. When they gave one out of every seven days to the Lord, the other six days were far more productive than seven days working. Do you trust God? Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with your time? Do you trust him with your stuff? Do you trust him with your family? Because the things you give to God, those things are blessed. And nothing is ever given to God that he doesn't give far more in return. If I value you, I got to ask at some point, what have you cost me? What have you cost me? And I, I, I don't want you to think, oh boy, I, I got to be more of a pain. But as a pastor, the people matter to you, not just because they matter to God, but because you've put some things on the line. There's been some nights where you stayed up praying. There's been days where you spent, took time away from things you had and you took time with them. And I want you to know, I'm just using myself because that's the best example I can give. I want you to know it's never a burden to me because this is what we were created for. What has it cost you? Where is the sacrifice? Because where there's sacrifice, there's your heart. Where there's sacrifice, there's love. Where there's sacrifice, there's blessing. Today, let's offer up the sacrifice of praise. Let's offer the sacrifice of our time. Let's offer the sacrifice of our love. Let's offer the sacrifice of our body, saying, God, what do you want to use my hands for? What do you want to use my feet for? What do you want to use my mouth for? What do you want to use the breath in my lungs for? It's yours. Let's stand up today, and we're going to bless the Lord together. You know, today, I'd like us to just, let's just address God as a God who's so worthy that, um, and so deserving that we don't come with any pretense. We're not coming with any expectation of a formula that works or a pattern that seems to do well. Let's just, let's be honest before the Lord. Knowing this, that God doesn't want the same thing from all of us. You know what I mean? He's looking for your heart. and Your heart's attached to something different than my heart or the heart of the person next to you. Lord, today, we value you highly. You're worth more than silver. You're worth more than gold. You're worth more 
than our jobs. You're worth more than the closest people in our life. You're worth so much to us. You're worthy. Because you're worth so much, we offer you all that we have. Lord, it is um, so easy to get lazy. It's so easy to grow complacent. So easy to grow weary and well-doing. Yet we know there's energy, there's, there's revival, there's a renewing, a refreshing in the presence of the Lord. So I feel like I need to say this as well, just as I was saying that the Holy Spirit put something in my heart. Some of you are so focused on what you're doing for God that it has been all work and no heart. And because of it, you're exhausted. Because of it, you're not only exhausted, but you feel more distant than when you started because you're still working from that debt reality of of maybe I can do enough. When can I do enough? Instead of starting from the position of I am pleasing to God. I'm acceptable to God. How will I respond to the mercy of God? So whether you're today saying, I've grown slack in my worship. I give God one, two days a week, but the rest is for me, right? I give God half of my energy, but not all. I don't want you to come here from a place of condemnation because there's no life in that. There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So there's no use in you saying, I'm sorry, I didn't do this. This is a time of consecration. This is a time for you to say, I commit to you. You've got it. I want to give you my Mondays, my Tuesdays, my Thursdays, my Fridays, my Saturdays. I want to give you those places in my heart that I've held back because those were just for me. I, I want to be a sacrifice that you find acceptable through Jesus. I want to be set apart for your use. So I'm going to ask um, Kelly and Naomi just to lead us in a song and we're going to sing together. And I want you to respond the way that God leads you to respond. Not the way you feel, but the way he leads you. Some of you, I'm sure, you can come to the altar. Some of you can stay right where you are. Whatever God leads you to do, you do. Some of you, the point is how you're worshiping in that moment. But for some of you, it's not about how you're worshiping, but the commitment you're making to God about the rest of the week, the rest of the year, the rest of your life. I want you to know that no one's going to be looking at you, but we're all going to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's fix our eyes on the one who's worthy, the one who's worth so much, the one who holds our heart's greatest desire, the one who is most valuable to us. Thank you, Jesus. Just as you've offered up this first step of saying yes, you've offered up your heart, you've offered and said, God, take what you want to take. I'm doing this. Your part was to say yes. Now watch what he does. For there's not one thing you're going to do by your own flesh, by your own strength. 
It is by the grace of God that we stand. It is by the grace of God that we minister. So right now in the name of Jesus, I speak over you. Be empowered and anointed to step out and to step in. There's a grace on your life not only to do what God called you to do, but to let go of the things that have been weighing you down or tangling you up. So reach out and grasp that grace this morning. Reach out and grasp that grace. Be anointed. Be empowered. Be strengthened. But there's one thing you need to know, and it is this, that you have been found worthy because of Jesus Christ. You have been found acceptable because of Jesus Christ. Now what he finds acceptable is a heart is open and says, you have my heart. And I pray that your ears will be open to hear. For sacrifice without obedience, sacrifice without obedience is not a value. For as the scripture says, he de desires obedience above sacrifice. May your ears be open to hear and obey. May your eyes be open to see. May your heart be open. No matter how many times you've failed, no matter how many times you've been hurt, no matter how many times you've been offended, no matter how many times you've had to close your heart because it hurt, open your heart. May your heart be opened to whatever God wants to do. May your heart be enlarged. King David said this, I will run the way of your commandments and you will enlarge my heart. Somebody, I, somebody I'm talking to directly here, and I want you to hear that, that your heart is being opened again. Your heart's being enlarged again. It's not just being enlarged for God. It's being enlarged for his people. And that's sometimes the most difficult thing, is opening your heart to people. Paul said, I, I can say this about you with confidence because I have you in my heart. And I long for you with the affections of Christ. There's a couple people up here, and you'll know who you are. There's a couple people up here that the last time you let people in, they did damage. And I want you to know that the scripture says to guard our heart, but it doesn't, guard our heart and closing our heart are not the same thing. You can't minister with a closed heart. You can't love from a closed heart. And if you can't love, you can't minister. So I say right now, may every scar that still hurts, every valley where the, the water still runs there every time it rains, Every scar be healed, every valley be lifted up. Every high place brought down, every crooked road becomes straight, that a way would be prepared for the Lord. In Jesus' name. The first thing I want you to do is I want you to go home and pray over this. The next thing I want you to do is tell somebody you trust and say, I want you to pray with me. Get it out of your head that you know exactly what this looks like, because we never do. If you've dreamt this from beginning to end, you got it all planned out, 
that's wonderful, but I'm, I, I'm going to tell you right now, you probably don't know how it's going to turn out. And trying to fill in all the blanks before we step out in faith is a good way to be discouraged. So just step out. Listen, I've said this before, but if your dream, if God's put it on your heart to preach to thousands, start with the 10 people that are listening to you right now. If God says, I want you to lay hands on the sick, stadium full of people, and you're going to lay hands on the sick and see them recover, well, then start with the person that's right in front of you. Start with the person at work. Start with the people you run into in the mall. Just start with the car and watch what God can do with a surrendered heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.